I'm ready. Hi, I'm Samuel Siddiqui. And I'm Alana Mallon, and we are Cambridge's two new city councilors, and this is our weekly podcast, Women Are Here. Thank you for joining us. So it is Wednesday. Again. Again, again. We've had uh, <laughs> quite a few days. Uh, we just rushed to, we've had meeting all, meetings all day, and we're finally getting together to do the podcast, and it was one of those days where I was like, Alana, go get my food from Life Alive. I can't walk that fast. <laughs> I know, and you know that I never go in there. I know, so confused, right? Well, I, you know, I just don't, I don't like that whole place. Sorry, everybody. I, it smells it weird, and I didn't even know where the takeout happened. Three ladies yelled at me. <laughs> so you totally owe me a lunch, I like do, a dinner I do. getting. Anyway, we, we we parked the car. We're here. Uh, you know, it's been a really busy couple of days. We had a really fun night last Thursday. It was Cambridge Ringin Latin. Graduation. Uh, it was a really fun night. I graduated from Range 12 years ago. And honestly, it felt like yesterday that I was on that stage. And, you know, I really loved my time there. And my teachers are so wonderful. And my great guidance counselor, Larry Poirier, he's retired, but he really believed in me. And um, yeah, so I, I think I reflected on that the entire three hours. Oh, I know. Hours. I sat right next to you. <laughs> I just <laughs> so many times you're like, this, I was here 12 years ago. I, I know I'm sitting here. You said it. <laughs> I know. I was just like, okay, when is, are my pictures going to get annoying? <laughs> anyway, thank you. I mean, until next year, right? Anyway. <laughs> well, I loved that we were sitting in the back. Like we have, the, <laughs> there's this funny picture. We're just, I feel like we're always together, always in the back. We are. Yeah. Best friends. Um, I loved um, Kenny Salim, the school superintendent's, his speech. Yeah. Parts of it were really like amazing. So he kind of did this whole speech around um, naming all of the generations that have come before this particular graduating class. So the boomers, generations X and Y, millennials, and some of the characteristics of each. And then went on to say that the generation of the class of 2018 was yet to be named. And in fact, the New York Times had compiled a list of candidates uh, for this naming this generation. And he said his favorite one was called Generation Delta because Delta signifies change. Uh, and so I looked up afterwards, I looked up the New York Times article to read the other options, which were all terrible, but like awful. <laughs> um, and so Kelsey Hillesheim, uh, 22 years old of New York, was one of the people to suggest Generation Delta. And she had this explanation. Delta is used to denote change and uncertainty in mathematics and sciences. And my generation was shaped by change and uncertainty. I do not have much memory of a sustained time of stability. I'm on the older end of what you're looking for, though I imagine this is also the case for younger Deltas. We take nothing for granted. We were kids when our parents lost their jobs in the recession. We also are a generation of a demographic shift. We are more diverse than any in American history. We generally see it as something to embrace and welcomes changes that could make for a more inclusive and just America. Delta also implies members of this generation will be agents of change, not just people reacting to it, she said. We are not passive products of circumstance, but active members of society with agency to affect the course of history and will build each other up to make things better, she added. We all we know all too well that adults aren't doing so today, um, which I thought really was amazing. I wanted to read that to everybody because Generation Delta is, I think, I think that's really what this generation is about, that change. And that sentiment carried through to a lot of the speeches, uh, but most notably by Sophie Harrington, who was the CRLS student body president who, in her speech, called the adults out for not doing more about microaggressions and racial inequities in our school district. 
She said, our motto um, of opportunity, diversity, and respect is a collection of empty words that lacks a call to action. There's an air of complacency in Cambridge, and we challenged it. This is a call to actions for adults in Cambridge, she said. It was so brave to give a speech to like that to a thousand people where she's calling out the behavior of those right behind her on stage. Yeah, right behind and, her. Right. And I really give her a lot of credit. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a mistake to just be grateful that these young people are going to fix everything. You know, she said that adults uh, have a responsibility to meet with these young people, have them come to our offices and bring their urgent issues forward. And she is so right. And, you know, I think, you know, we have to make sure that this happens and that we carry on this work and elevate the voices of young people. Yeah. Like I, like you said, we can't just be like, oh, I hope that I'm so glad they're here because they're going to fix everything. Exactly. It's actually our job to engage with these young people and make sure that the changes that they really feel passionate about affecting, we actually give them a voice right. as the elected officials, as the adults here in Cambridge. And I... I really love that she called everybody out. Me too. She was a rock star. Yeah, go Sophie. Go Sophie. Um, well, before we get into the Cambridge stuff, I just, it's been such a depressing week in the Supreme Court. Yep. Um, so the first thing was the voter roll purging case um, that the Supreme Court voted five to four in favor of Ohio's law that purges voter rolls after six years of non-voting and non-responsiveness to a mailed letter. Um, they said it does not violate federal law, which is a reversal of the Obama administration's position in this case. And actually doing some research, I was surprised to learn that here in Massachusetts, it's actually a shorter time frame. So you're purged uh, from the voter rolls if you do not vote in two consecutive biennial state elections. And according to the state website, inactive voters remain registered to vote until they fail to vote in two consecutive biennial state elections. Inactive voters are restored to the active voter list anytime they complete an affirmation of current and continuous residence, fill out a new voter registration form, or submit anything to their local official, uh, election official. So you're actually placed on an inactive voter list if you don't respond to your annual census. So if you don't respond, your name is still on the voter list, and it says inactive. So if you go to vote and it says inactive, you can still vote that day, but you have to provide a, a valid ID. So... You know, I, I was surprised to learn that Massachusetts has a more stringent law than than what they're yeah. they're saying for Ohio. But you know, I do worry what this does for the midterm elections because I know so many of us are hoping to win back the House and start to really effectively push back against some of this administration's cruel policies and rollback of rights. So this decision shows um, us that we. You know, the judicial branch and local and state governments are really so crucial right now in helping mm -hmm. to keep citizens safe and their and their rights safe as well. Yeah, it's just so depressing. And then, you know, we talked about this earlier last week, the, the case in Colorado. So the U.S. Supreme Court decision siding with the Colorado baker who refused to create a wedding cake for a gay couple stop short of condoning the baker's conduct or declaring his actions legal, which means it was a narrow ruling. Um, and, it, you know, it, while it can't be considered a blanket permission for business owners to turn away gay customers, um, you know, even if serving those customers conflicts with the owner's religious beliefs, I think it it's already being interpreted as this blanket permission. Well, it's it's a win for people who are are anti-gay right, right and so i think you know i think you know there was seven in favor and two 
who dissented, including our favorite. Our DJ. And, you know, there's so much more to say about this case, but I think, you know, it's our nation's highest court should have really come down on it and said, you know, that we we shouldn't be discriminating on the basis of, you know, um, same-sex marriage. And, uh, you know, I think... I, I don't know. I, I'm really upset by the court's decision, especially it's Pride Month. But on yeah. so many reasons, it just doesn't make any sense. It's, you know, it is discrimination. And I think the court was upset that the government agency, um, many members of the court were upset that the government agency, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, showed, you know, clear and impermissible hostility toward the, toward the religious beliefs of Baker. So I think, you know, that's why it was you know there's such a there that's why it was such a narrow the ruling anyway i'm not doing a great job of explaining it explaining it but all in all it you know it's not a it's it's a i think it's a really bad decision well and we were at a panel last night at the library yeah. um you know in celebration of pride month there was a number of activists both you know trans lesbian gay activists um and they were talking about some of these issues where when these rights get rolled back, it's like they're they're being pushed back right. to a place that they maybe were ten years ago, twenty years ago, and it's not comfortable. It's it's upsetting, and um, you know, a, a lot of one of the questions was like, how do you? What makes you feel invisible? And I think things like this make them feel right invisible, and um, that that the larger community doesn't care about them, and and. You know that's dangerous. It's yeah. it's dangerous when we roll back rights. When we say to gay couples, it's okay for a baker to say to say no. Um, they they don't want to bake a cake for you because they don't religiously they don't believe in what you're doing. It's upsetting. Yeah, yeah. And you know this reminds me of another thing that came out last night. You know, you know, in a few months oh, we're going right. to be voting. It's the only state to have this ballot question, but literally voting to repeal transgender protection. So the, you know, amazing, inspiring activists last night said, look, we have to make sure we vote yes to keeping those protections. We don't know the ballot number yet, but we have to vote yes. So, you know, I plan on getting involved in that advocacy to make sure that people are voting yes, um, because this is, it's critical. It's critical. And um, one of the activists was saying last night, sorry, I'm like losing my train of thought. Um, I lost it. It's gone. Yeah. So the, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know what it was. That um, right now they're polling. Fifty-two percent of Massachusetts mm-hmm. voters think that these these rights should be rolled back, and that's before any ad campaigns. That's before anyone's doing any kind of um, you know, social message, social media messaging. So it is going to be crucial if you do believe in and transgender rights to get out there and be active and make sure that people understand to vote yes on this ballot question, whichever the number will be, and we'll keep you posted. But um, I encourage everyone to kind of stay apprised of the situation because this is this is important. Yeah. So we just wanted to share that depressing news. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. It's you know, but I mean, I feel like every day you wake up and it's like there's some terrible thing that happened. Um, that people's rights are, are getting attacked and taken yeah. away. So back to your regularly scheduled programming of dun, dun, dun. Uh, city life. We have some updates on that. Um, so we had an ordinance meeting last week on busking fees. So 
what are buskers, you ask? Um, so buskers are um, folks that play in our squares or in our streets, uh, and they, you know, put a, a hat out or their guitar case and ask for money. And um, several years ago, we had, the Cambridge had put into a place a permit with a $40 fee um, for buskers. And we've seen a real decline of uh, buskers in our squares. And it's a way to enliven the squares. It's a way to have people come and, you know, I don't know if you've seen like the magicians yep. and um, the people that play, you know, in Harvard Square, or Central Square. But it, what this was saying was, you know, what are we doing about the permit fee? And I think what came out of that meeting was that most of the council is saying no more fee. Yep. See what happens. Um, if we're really trying to enliven our squares and bringing these buskers back and, and you know, creating creating that, what did Dennis Carlone call it? That joyful experience. Exactly. So exactly. bringing back that joyful experience into our squares, um, you know, $40, like it's, I, I feel like a city is such as rich as Cambridge. We do not need some, we don't, we don't need the extra revenue for something that's actually driving our buskers away. So um, <clears throat> that's something that's happening uh, and we will keep you posted. But I think the the overwhelming feeling in the room was to get rid of the permit fee and, and, and bring that joyful experience back. Yeah. You know, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this being passed hopefully soon. Very soon. Very soon. So things don't happen super fast. You know, it's really it's like... frustrating, everyone. <laughs> uh, we didn't have a meeting this week on Monday night because we had an Envision Cambridge roundtable where a community development department and a consultant, a few consultants from UTEAL, presented the draft recommendations from the Envision Cambridge working groups. If you weren't aware of the process, Envision Cambridge is a three-year community process working with UTEAL and various city departments and handful of many volunteers to determine what is our vision for the future and how do we get there the city has invested a lot of time a lot of money three million to this effort and the final recommendations will be announced in december there were groups that residents and city staff members were part of on things like housing the lo5 area mobility the environment um, economic mobility uh, so this was a presentation on the draft recommendations and we had the opportunity to to ask a lot of questions about, you know, what went into the process and what wasn't there and how some of the draft recommendations are already underway. So that was great. Yeah. And I just to shout out, like, if you were on an Envision Cambridge working group and you just gave up a significant amount of time over the last three years, thank you. Um, I know that it was a long process and we got some really great draft recommendations in all of those working group areas. You know, particularly we were talking a lot about housing yesterday and some of the things that, you know, the citywide process came up with is a lot of the things that we are either A, talking about doing or B, um, is underway. And I think um, it's just great to have um, these draft recommendations and the final recommendations from the community to really back up some of the things we're trying to push at the city council level because Sometimes if it's just individual councillors right. or a couple of council members, they want to push this sort of, you know. Cohesive th- plan, yeah. A cohesive plan, but also sometimes they're, they're a little hard to push, right? Right, like, right, right. Um, but if we have the backing of the community and three, mm-hmm. a three-year process and $3 million, um, I think it, it's going to be easier for us to push some of these items through that might have been contentious before. Yeah. Uh, it'll be easier for us to say, well, you know, the working group, here it is, right on this piece of paper. Uh, so for me, that was really interesting. And then 
there was a whole health and wellness piece of it that I was, I didn't realize was part of, and it was like a really, it was a really big part of the draft recommendations. And, you know, some of it had to do with mental health. Some of it had to do with, um, race issues, food access. Gender. So I do think that there's a way, um, at the end of this process to kind of go through those draft recommendations and figure out a strategy to, to push some of those things forward. And one of the things I talked about yesterday, you know, when we talk about food access work, um, and food pantries is I would really like to think about rethinking and reimagining food pantries and how they are used right now. Yeah. And one of the things I said last night at the meeting is every Monday I come here and um, I walk by the food pantry on Inman Street at CEOC. And those folks are, they're lined up and they're, they're, everyone's walking by everyone can see that they're they're in any kind of weather there's no shelter if it's raining if it's snowing they're just outside and you know i love coc i love working there but you know the food pantry is in the basement of a building and it's there's not any other services that are that are supplied there's so many times where people are like well how are we going to reach these folks these folks you know people who need services or resources it's like you could be wrapping some services around these food pantries where you know people are going to be every week. Um, so, you know, just delivering a human service in a more humane way and wrapping around those those resources that exist here in Cambridge, it's such a miss to not use them. So um, that was one of the things I talked about, definitely, that wasn't part of the draft recommendation, probably because people don't think about food pantries as often as I do. But, you know, we do those at Food for Free. We do the school food markets right in the schools. And it's, you know, we're meeting people where they are, where they feel comfortable. And we wrap those services around and make sure that, you know, they get information on the summer food program or, um, you know, the home heating help and um, Title One. And there's a lot of services that we provide here in Cambridge that we don't always we're not always reaching the folks right. that we're trying to reach. And so why not use a vehicle that we're already that's already exists and, and make it better and make it more humane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people should not be lining up. And no. we're everyone's walking by. Everyone's Everyone. going to City Hall. And um, you know I, <sighs> I'm really glad you brought it up. I'm really glad you brought it up. I think we have I, I think it, it, you know, they're looking for more recommendations and I think you know, I, I, this is, th- this will really be a way for us to incorporate things that, you know, we, we care about. Yeah. And, um, I think people were receptive last night when I was talking about that. Yeah, so hopefully, yeah. um, and you know, they, they had asked us to ask also, you know, send in more information, but I, if, if those available online, somebody was asking me the that. draft recommendations. Yeah. I don't think I don't so. I don't know if they're available online. We have them. Yeah, so, so if anybody I think wants we can them, send them. Yeah, yeah. definitely um, email or tweet at us. I'm happy to send them out just because I think it's interesting to see what people have been working on for three years. And um, Yeah, and this, the recommendations also included like things that have been talked about but aren't not going to be done in the near future. You know, yeah, it was section. Like discussed but not recommended. Mm, not recommended, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that's really important to see because when people – or like, why didn't you do this? Or, you know. There was one on there that um, it was like re- talked about but not recommended. But it was something that we actually put in last yeah. week for the, the council agenda. So it, uh, the whole thing's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. But so anyways, I think it, it's a evolving piece. Yeah. And shout, again, shout out to the residents who Definitely. spent three years of their life doing this. 
So we had a long Monday because the most of the day we attended a great conference on um, rebuilding the supply of affordable housing at MIT hosted by Fannie Mae. So it was mostly good. <laughs> it was mostly good. I mean, it was a great topic. Yeah. Um, Vice Mayor Devereaux and Councillor Carlone were also there in attendance. So it was great to have kind of a, a nice representation from the Cambridge City Council. Um, but so there were three panels. The first one was was really good. The second one Ugh. was a manal. So it was four men and it was all about data and financial technology tools. And they just all talked to each other. And, I, you know, I again, I tweeted, I'm I'm done with the manal. I didn't get anything no. from that panel. I think, well, first of all, I was so, like, turned off by the whole thing. Yeah. And then there was so much jargon. <laughs> I know. And I felt like they just were all talking to each other. And, um, yeah, I didn't get anything out of that session. But the last session, um, there was a, this wonderful woman named Katie Swenson. Um, so it wasn't a mantle, but she was the only woman. <laughs> um, but I, I honestly could have listened to her all day long. She was terrific. So she was from Enter- Enterprise Community Partners, and I loved her. Um, it, so one of the things she said that really resonated with me was, when we're talking about building more affordable housing, we need to all be asking ourselves, what is our priority? The money is always there, but what's lacking is the political will and the onerous regulatory environment within, within which that you know we need to build. Um, she had a couple of great examples. One of them was we just the United States just built like a seven hundred billion dollar um, center for um, border security, border security in San Ysidro, California. So you know we have the money. It's just what is our priority? Is our priority really a processing center? at our border or is it building more housing for residents who live here um who who are struggling so and then the other example that she used and i i really want to look into this because it's so fascinating um so after hurricane katrina these uh, folks at mit built these modular homes called the katrina cottages so remember the fema trailers yep. were a disaster and they were making people actually sick so mit designed these modular katrina cottages to send to new orleans which could be put up quickly anywhere well because of the regulatory environment they sat at the new orleans airport for seven years while somebody undid all of the red tape and worked with the legislature to actually move those cottages from the airport and actually be built. So we're talking about seven years where people suffered. People did not have, you know, the the innovation was there. The money was there. It's the will and energy to undo this regulatory environment that can stymie this type of advancement. So the whole panel really was on innovation and how innovation can help lower the cost of, of, you know, of, of housing. And she used this great example. And, you know, I keep thinking about her saying, you know, what, it, what yeah. is our priority? And I think we need to be asking ourselves that a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. She was, she was the best part of the conference. I she think. really was. And, um, you know, I, I gave her a lot of credit because she, every time they asked her a question, she answered and on point, perfect. I was like, wanted to jump up and like clap every time and then they would go to the next person they wouldn't even 
Right. Like acknowledge that she said anything, not like, oh, I just want to build on something that Katie just said, or that's so interesting that you should just say that. They just acted like she didn't exist. It was just the weirdest thing. Ugh, they were the worst. <laughs> anyway, we also heard from uh, Nesterly. Nesterly. Uh, and the lovely ladies, uh, Noelle Marcus and uh, Rachel Gore, I think. Yep. Anyway, they are MIT. Uh, they were at MIT. And when they got together and founded Nesterly, which is a platform that connects households who have spare space with people who are seeking a place to stay for longer than one month uh and you know guests can exchange help around the house for lower rent and so really nestorly is all about making intergenerational home sharing safe transparent and easy um by you know coming up with this unique platform and this is something that you've we've talked about before um a few of us uh, you know put in a council order that uh you know is led by you and I think it's myself and uh, Councillor Simmons on mm-hmm. it. Uh, and we are trying to push the city to, you know, really uh, realize that this will fill in a gap. Yeah. I mean, one of the things they say all the time is you can't build your way out of this affordable housing crisis. Right. So you have to use some of the resources that already exist. So, uh, you know, we can we can build units that cost $500,000 each, or we can find rooms that exist in the community um, and solve a couple problems at once. So, you know, we've got an aging population that own their own homes that are retired. And so they're living on a fixed income and their property taxes are going up. Um, but they have these empty rooms. So and then we've got all these graduate students and young professionals who are looking for a safe place to live um, that we can connect those two generations. And at, we're solving a couple problems at once. So, you know, there's a lot of research around elderly residents and loneliness and also their ability to actually keep up around the house do the shopping bring the, the garbage out shovel i mean we get a lot of snow and these poor folks are you know it would be great to have somebody in right. the house with them um and caring for them so i would love to see the city um you know like i like you said we are moving forward it's it's again happening a little uh slowly slowly. um but i am really hopeful that we can solve a couple of our problems uh at once with this particular program and it's funny they said that they had been there was a big mayor's conference here this week uh held in boston and they were invited to speak and that they there were a lot of mayors that are really interested in this because they know like there are empty bedrooms in their city or town that could be being used for better, better better purpose. And literally, you could not build, even mm-hmm. if you had all the money in the world, you couldn't yep. build enough units to to, to fill the needs. Yeah. So, so thank you to these lovely ladies uh, who've really, you know, they, they're working very patient. so, so hard. <laughs> and they're really working, They, you know, and I, I really hope that we can follow suit. Yeah, because they have a real passion for this. And they the do. Thing, they both live with their grandmothers. Yeah. So, you know, for them, this isn't just an abstract idea. This is, you know, something that they are, they're, it's a lived experience for them and they know how important it is, but not everybody gets to live in the same town as their grandma. Yeah, exactly. I wish I lived with my, in the same town with my grandma. <sighs> I wish my grandma was alive. Well, anyway, we I was going to say that, but like, <laughs> then I was being too yeah, depressing again. Yeah. But any old, older person, elder person, I think it, the loneliness factor is so real. Yeah. And it was, they, they're showing this cute video of yeah. like you know this younger person living with this um older person and like you know just updating like your phone you know right <laughs> like i 
I fall into that category too. Like I don't even know how to update my phone anymore because yeah. it's too it's much. Too much, yeah. Um, so helping with the technology. Yeah. So kudos to Rachel and uh, Noel for their awesome platform, and we'll keep you posted. Yeah. If you'd like to learn more, uh, the website is https. Well, I'll just give you. <laughs> I don't know what my reading is. It's www.nestorly.io. You type it into your web browser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're the so, best. <laughs> anyway, I think that's we all that we have. No. Oh, we don't? Okay, we're still going. No, you're we just both came from two separate meetings. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yours was on Airbnb and mine was on Safe Streets. So we'll just do a quick quick update on both because I think both both of those things are interesting. Yeah, yeah. So how about we start with you? Oh, with me? Yeah. Okay, so I was just at a Safe Streets meeting, which is led by Councillor Simmons. And, you know, this is something that she's been doing for years. And it's, it always kind of has a different topic. Um, but one of the things that happened recently is there was um, a shooting in the port in the middle of the day, like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right on Columbia Street. Um, you know, kids are at the park. People are walking by. It that's distressing, and I right. think the neighborhood had there has there's been nine shootings um, or nine shots fired since January. Eight of them have been in the port, and this one was very bold. This was somebody who you know fired shots in the middle of the afternoon. So the neighborhood is feeling uneasy, and rightfully so. And so this the focus of this Safe Streets meeting was really to talk about what is our response. First of all, you know, what's our police response in making sure, like, getting an update of where we are in this particular situation? There was an arrest uh, made uh, in conjunction or in connection with this shooting from last week. There's still there's still one person that they're looking for. Mm. Um, so there will be more arrests, hopefully, made very soon. Um, but then we were talking about it was a broader conversation. So Columbia Terrace, which is um, where the shooting happened, you know there are there are some issues there, and so really, what is the the city's responsibility to try to figure out how to support um, the residents of Columbia Terrace and make sure that they feel safe? Uh, so the you know HRI and Win Management were there to talk about some of the programs that they're doing. Um, one of the things Food for Free is doing this summer actually is we're doing uh, a free food market right on site at Columbia Terrace, and it's really about making sure that we're you know, fostering a community within the residents of, of Columbia Terrace. And we're very excited to be working with them. But what are the other things there that they can be doing um, to foster that kind of community experience and environment um, and, and make people feel safe? So one of the things people talked about was creating a, a residence, um, like a tenants association and a youth tenants association, just to make sure that, you know, people are feeling connected to other residents, both within the terrace and also with the management company. Um, and then we had like kind of a long conversation about the park across the street, which is the Clement Morgan Park, and how there's not a lot of programming there that happens because a lot of the, you know, the people, the kids that are like 19 to 35 year olds, they kind of take over the park. So the programs leave. And so there was kind of this push pull between the neighborhood and the city to say, well, you can't take all the programs out because then, you know, there's a, a group of residents that feel like they, they don't, they're, that's their park, right? And so then people feel like they can't use the park. So it's really about trying to figure out with the city, what's our responsibility and programming that park and making it a, a community space, at least for part of the day. Um, so there was a lot of conversation about that. And then we talked about jobs. 
you know, pathways for for youth and our community. And one of those one of those ways is um, to connect kids to um, both apprenticeship programs with trades, so electricians or carpenters, and that's starting to happen a little bit, but also making seeing if there could be a way to get young people involved in our public safety, um, so either police or fire. And so one of the things I've been working with the police department on kind of since I started was resuscitating this idea of a youth cadet program, which is a program that existed a long time ago. They would recruit out of the high school, and from 18 to 21, you would be in the youth cadet program. Um, and then when you were 21, you could enter the police academy. And you'd be pretty much guaranteed a job back with the, the Cambridge Police Department. Um, and it was really a way for, for kids who weren't sure what they were going to do after, after high school. College maybe wasn't a thing that they wanted to do right away. Um, but people that were, you know, kids that were excited about public safety. I mean, these are great jobs, right? Yeah. If you're interested in, in going into public safety, they pay well. Um, the Cambridge Police Department and the Fire Department have excellent benefits. You know, it's a, it's a great community. And then, you know, what are those other pathways? And so we had a lot of conversation. Dr. Turk, who's the deputy superintendent of the Cambridge Public Schools, was there. And, you know, it was it was actually really great to have everybody around the same table talking about, you know, the, like I said, the, the mayor was there. The counselor Simmons was there. The housing authority was there. Um, some of our clergy was there, really talking about what their what's their responsibility in that in that neighborhood. Is it you know walking around and doing these prayer walks? Um, so it was a really interesting conversation. It was different than a lot of the meetings that you and I have been going to lately, where I feel like it's kind of always the same people around the right. table. This was a real community effort, and I. You know, I applaud Councillor Simmons for having the conversation around what does safe streets mean for everyone, right? So a lot of times we talk about safe streets when we talk about cyclists. We spend a lot of time talking about are our streets safe for cyclists? But at the same time, are our streets safe for some of the residents in the port? Are they safe from gun violence? So these are conversations we need to be having at the same time. Um, And so I'm excited that, you know, Councillor Simmons has been working on this for a long time and I'm going to be investing some of my time in in making sure that um, as a council member, I'm investing in that community and making sure that I'm a voice um, for them at the council level because we do need, (laughs) we need people focused on whether or not our our streets are safe for for all of our residents. Yeah, I'm sorry to leave it early. uh, I know I miss you. Usually we sit next to each other and pass notes. Yeah, I (laughs) wanted to say that, you know, one thing that Kesson brought up, you know, he talked about, he, he's um, a, a community, I think liaison at the police department. Yeah, and I, I wish we had a hundred of him because oh, I know is he the greatest? So great, and he made this point of it'd be great for these youth and young people to know who is you know who the mayor is and who other yeah. people are. So I think you know we need to think about a way of doing some kind of. I mean, I think it should be your food, but like going always food, yeah, always food. Doing you know a quarterly pizza event, you know, and outside you yeah. know and 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 making sure that they know who we are um and that we're really invested and you know we want we really care about the, our, them our young people our yeah. young people so yeah, i think it was a you know great meeting i had to leave to go to a less fun topic well none of this is fun it's you know it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's we can important. talk about fun stuff in a little while yeah uh next week but i i went to a public safety meeting uh chaired by counselor kelly on 
updates to our short-term rental. Airbnb. Airbnb. So anyway, we got an update from Inspectional Services. So let's just back everybody up, right? So the city council passed an ordinance that you have to register your Airbnb uh, with the city and you have to pay a, a fee. A fee. Um, and so that went into effect and apparently no one is registering their we have, you know, we, we, the number that we got, we have over 100 uh, people who have registered. But how many yeah, Airbnbs are here? That's what kept, kept coming up. The enforcement piece is really hard. So, uh, you know, I think we are hoping, I think the city is hoping that once the state is clear on regulation, which I think they've heard in the next few weeks, we're I feel like have it's some kind of law sooner than that. Yeah, that it, you know, today in Boston, though, you know, oh right, they There's set up today. a new uh, city ordinance, uh, which is much more strict. Um, you know, it for the it will ban investor units. Um, you know, it 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 has a lot of other things, but it's investor units, even one unit or investor investor units. So let me four let me units. read it. Yeah. Okay. So in order to use Airbnb. Home, homeowners in this new system would have to register with the city and pay an annual fee, um, $25 to rent out an in-unit bedroom, or 200 to rent out an entire unit that is either a host's primary residence or is part of an owner-occupied two- or three-family building. Those who own and live in multifamily homes would be allowed to rent one extra unit in those buildings for an unlimited number of days. Um, then there's all these other nitty-gritty, but... Um, it's really, you know, people want to balance. Lydia Edwards, who is, I think, really great, she uh, said that this legislation balances the rights of homeowners to earn supplemental income with protections for housing stock under pressure from the investor-owned segment of the short-term rental industry. So I think, you know, as a city, we have to think about, yes, we've contacted the watermarks and the, the yeah, big Yeah, the big and, one. Yeah, yeah. and... But there's a lot of people out there. So how do we find this information when we can't, we don't have addresses? So I think the Well, city's, isn't Airbnb supposed to be providing us the addresses or are they just not? I think they are waiting for uh, the state. The state. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of our conversation was geared towards, okay, well, we're waiting for the state. But if the state doesn't respond, what's our plan B? What's our plan B? Yeah. And it's either we partner with, there's a lot of things, but we have to think about partnering with a third party you know, data, I forget the term, but data scrapper who oh, can, a data scrapper yeah, who helps us, <laughs> who helps us figure out, figure, figures out who, um, the, these, these folks are, who are, you know, renting, mm-hmm. um, illegally. It's, you know, and violating our ordinance. So right. it, we're really in this early stages. I do think our staff's working very, very hard, but so, you know, enforcement is a huge thing and it's come up. Enforcement has been a huge thing. Well, it was always going to be uh, yeah, tough, always tough, but they are, you know, the processes you, the city sent out about 23,000 letters. What? Uh, in the beginning. And yeah, then you had... Is that how many people have their unit? Do we have 23,000 units that are being airbnb Or Or um, owner-occupied? I don't even know. Okay. I, I should... Uh, I don't have my notes in front of me from the meeting. Um, but basically, you know, notice was sent. Then people who people came forward and registered you oh know? And, and i then, know a couple yeah yeah and then there's some people who were contacted because there's complaints right so then mm. you send a cease and desist right mm-hmm. so if the, you know you don't respond to the cease and desist there's a 300 dollar penalty per day oh wow yeah and so you know we're going forward but it, it's it's it, it's slow it's interesting i was talking to this woman while i was campaigning and i knocked on her door and she lived in a i think it was like eight unit building 
And the neighbor across the hall from her was Airbnb beer. <laughs> beer. I know what's on your mind. <laughs> Airbnb their unit across the hall almost every night. So she's like, there's, they just had a lockbox, right? Mm. So somebody different every night was just like, across the hall from her and she's like it's a safety issue for me right and you know so i can see i can totally see that i just so i saw something on cambridge wicket local yesterday about airbnb that was like really interesting so researchers analyzed airbnb properties in boston and found that while only 18 percent of hosts listed multiple properties at the same time that group nonetheless owned nearly half of the listed units Crazy. So this is a big problem. This isn't like I Airbnb out my my second floor or you Airbnb out your bedroom when you're traveling. This is people who are buying lar- like a large number of yeah. units and using them as an investment property, an investment vehicle. So and then those units people can't live in them. So yep. we have an afford- you know, we have a housing crisis, right? There's not enough housing and then this is happening. So it's exacerbating this housing crisis and so all of these pieces of legislation are like trying to to kind of tamp it down but i, I don't know what's gonna happen yeah i think level. we need to be much more aggressive you know concert carlone said look we should find these people what they're putting up as rent you know if they're it's a thousand a night let's let's you know make sure they they're taxed pay. yeah you know yeah so there's a lot of new changes with the state uh potential changes of state um litigation state you know, in uh, if they implement it coming. So, like, and let me just read one more thing because this is the other piece of the Wicked Local article that I was like, what? Um, according to Airbnb estimates, the state is missing out on $9.6 mm. million in tax revenues from the stays in Boston, $3.3 million for Cambridge, and $6.9 million for the rest of the state. So if local governments decided to assess municipal taxes, half would have to go toward programs for low and moderate income housing, according to the legislation. So... I'll be eagerly awaiting yes. um, whether or not this goes through uh, because, I, I mean, it's it's about time. It's about time. So anyway, we'll keep you updated. Uh, there's a lot changing every day. Uh, you and know, we'll have more updates next week. Next week, we have a council meeting Monday. Um, on Monday night. And because we didn't have a council meeting this past Monday, it is going to be probably pretty long because usually... There's twice as many policy orders and twice as many city managers' agenda, and I have I have a couple interesting things coming up. Oh, I ha- I don't have that many. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, we will keep you updated on what we're working on next week. And so, thank you again for joining us. Um, if you want to tweet at us or want to hear about anything in particular, um, I'm at a m m a l l o n. And I'm at Sumbul Sid, S-U-M-B-U-L-S-I-D-D. And if you love this podcast, share it with your friends um, because we'd love to have more. Spread the love. Spread all the love because we would love to have the love spread. I know. Please listen. Okay. Bye. (laughs) Bye.